Hello and welcome to the next in our series of podcasts on Trade Matters. It's now a year ago that we started the series of the podcast with Sir John Grant, former permanent representative of the UK to the European Union, and Phil Brown, a former UK trade negotiator, to talk about the negotiation process and what may happen in the months ahead. I'm delighted to be joined by John and Phil again today to revisit that conversation in the light of all that's happened since. Um, we're also joined by Emily Khan, Senior Business Manager for our Trade and Investment Hive of Experts, which includes John and Phil. Thanks all for being here. Looking forward to a very interesting conversation um, as we reflect back on last year and what's to come this year. John, can I start with you? Um, great to be here again. We spoke this time last year about the negotiation process and how it's all going to work in practice. Um, lots happened since, quite a lot of progress in many ways. When we last spoke, you were pretty confident the deal would be done, uh, with the question being more a matter of whether we had time to make the deal work. Year on, how are you seeing it? Well, I think the really key thing uh, for the country as a whole and for PwC's clients in particular is that it's now clear what will happen when we leave the EU at the end of March next year. In other words, there will be a transition period which will uh, allow businesses to operate up until the end of 2020 in the way they do now in respect of EU regulation and EU legislation and customs so that they have time to prepare for the longer term arrangements. Clearly, we all breathed a bit of a sigh of relief in December um, and again more recently. Um, what should we be looking out now for the next big milestone as? The outstanding issue, uh, the outstanding uncertainty, if you like, is no longer, in my view, what happens at the end of March next year. I think barring political accidents, that's clear, as I've said, the outstanding issue is what happens at the end of that transition period. In other words, at the end of 2020, because at that point, there are three possibilities. Either we can have negotiated a long-term agreement with the EU, which will enter into force, and which will in future be the one that business has to follow, or there will be an extension of the transition period, uh, not something the British government or the EU want, but it's a possibility, or the cliff edge we were worried about next year will happen at that point, and that could be very damaging for business. Phil. Your world has been the world of, of trade negotiations. Uh, we're hearing a lot about uh, FTAs now and, and what's going to be happening there in the year ahead. Um, what's going to be going on behind the scenes over the coming year and on that side of things? Well, thanks, Paul. Um, the, the government has been spending a huge amount of resources, you'd expect, focusing on getting the withdrawal and transition arrangements in place. But at the same time, behind the scenes, a huge amount of work has also been um, being done in order to get ready for the future trade negotiations. So that's gone from right actually just understanding, defining what our policies are, what our positions are, what our ideal outcome is, our second order, third order outcome, understanding the tactics of the other side, um, and then also just building up the capability, hiring staff to administer it and, and, and training people up um, in order to negotiate. So a huge amount of work has been done behind the scenes there too. And then also sort of more um, internationally and globally, Clearly, as part of Global Britain, it's a real priority to crack on and, and negotiate the future trade agreements with countries such as the US. So that's been a real priority, but it's, um, it's just at the very early stages at this particular point in time, um, because clearly, um, you know, one, the compelling 
imperative is to get the existing free trade agreements rolled over smoothly. But second, it's too early days at this stage to, to agree even, even the outline of a deal with the US. And I know last time we talked at some length about the UK's position in the WTO and the work that needed to be done to get the schedules in place, the, the UK's own schedules, in particular how dividing up quotas, quotas and subsidies and that side of things was going to be quite an issue. How's that all going? Well, we're hearing a bit. We're hearing a lot less about that for obvious reasons at the moment. Um, a lot of work, and a lot of careful and um, you know well-judged diplomacy is underway in the WTO and in capitals around those issues. That said, we we flagged it up as a, a risk area, and indeed, um, last um, autumn when the EU and the UK set out what they were proposing in terms of cutting up these tariff rate quotas, mainly for agricultural goods, the US and other major trading nations came back with a response to saying that wasn't satisfactory. So there's more work to be done on that. And also, interestingly, on services, the UK has just issued its draft um, approach to its schedules for services trade as well. So it's too early to say what the reaction will be. But we have had some indications through our network that some countries may seek to try and get more from it. But having said that, as we said a year ago, even if things aren't completely wrapped up in the WTO and all signed off, which is quite probable that by the time we leave, companies can be confident that the UK will be trading on its existing EU schedules come Brexit day. And there's been a lot of talk about Canada plus 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 arrangements. Tell us a bit about that and what that really means, if you would. Okay, well, Canada plus plus plus, that was David Davis's um, phrase. Um, and actually, we know what it looks like now because the PM basically articulated that in her Mansion House speech on, on the 2nd of March. So this is a highly ambitious free trade agreement, unprecedented in its breadth and depth. Um, it would be going a long way towards having the same access, although not all of it, as the Norway deal. And most of the flexibilities, but not all of the flexibilities of, of the Canada deal. So that's the ambition. That's what Canada plus 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 would look like. But then this is a negotiation. So we saw the EU and last week um, on the 23rd of March, the EU negotiated um, or set out its guidelines that um, it had agreed for the future trade framework. And those are basically the Canada deal. Not really Canada minus, but Canada no pluses whatsoever. So we'll have to see where we end up landing there. But I think and what we're spending a lot of time working with our clients on at the moment is really trying to understand what's the most likely outcome. And it's going to be a Canada plus, large plus, small plus. So that's basically um, all or most tariffs eliminated. Um, customs will be introduced, but streamlined. Um, rules of origin will apply. So you'll get zero tariffs on most goods if they're made in the UK or the EU. And on services trade, we'll see some improvements over the market access that the EU offers to everybody else, but they'll be limited. And there's certain areas that are important for the UK, financial services, audiovisual and transport, where the EU is highly restrictive generally, and it was too in the Canada deal. So that would be a real target for the pluses, I would have thought. But I think we need to be realistic and companies need to be realistic about the likely progress that we'll get in those areas. So Emily, can I turn to you and thanks for joining us this time. I know you've been holding a number of round tables over the year. And one of the things coming out of that has been that there's an awful lot more to this than trade policy in terms of the, the world going forward. Would you just like to talk to us a bit about that? Thanks, Paul. And yes, it's been a really busy year for us here in the Trade and Investment Hive with our focus on convening different sectors to debate and discuss the future of trade for the UK. As you say, we've hosted quite a few events now, bringing together politicians, civil servants, academics and the private sector to discuss some of the key issues we're facing as a nation. 
And the broad consensus and the overwhelming theme in those discussions is that whilst the deal we get with the EU and the other free trade agreements we negotiate with other countries outside of the EU are clearly crucially important, we mustn't forget that the underlying strength of our own economy and the number of growing businesses that we have in the UK ready to take advantage of the opportunities those agreements present is just as important. So it's been one of the big themes in all of the discussions. Clearly, the industrial strategy published in November goes a long way towards that. And that's been really welcomed by the groups that we've been talking to as a clear indication that the government sees this as a priority. One of the things that, that we're reflecting on here in the Trade and Investment Hive is where the government can play a role in picking winners, as they say, not only focusing on what we're really good at today, but what we might be really good at in the future. So things like AI, robotics, cyber, that might be the big export opportunities for us in the future. John, you've been in a number of these conversations. Uh, what have you made of the discussions? Well, I think um, a, a really uh, high level of uh, positive energy around trying to understand, around trying to minimise uncertainty and trying to make the best of what uh, is for businesses a difficult, a difficult situation. And we've all been trying to contribute to that by being clear-sighted and realistic, both about uh, what the uncertainty is and about uh, what business can do to help manage that uncertainty, um, because there is inevitably uncertainty. Do you mind if I just add one point? Um, I, I, if I'm allowed to disagree with Phil on one thing, I, I don't think it's quite right that the European uh, Union's position on the long-term free trade agreement is only a Canada deal. It is studiously vague in the European Council guidelines about scope. It doesn't say there can't be an agreement on financial services. It doesn't say there can't be an agreement on audiovisual. What it does is offer an opportunity for British negotiators to come forward with creative and innovative ideas. The European Union won't propose those because it's not its job. If we want something, it's our job to propose it. There's nothing in those guidelines that stops us proposing it. Uh, so I, I agree that it won't be the EEA agreement, and it can't be because we've said we don't want it. But I think people who say, mm, the EU's not ready to do a genuinely ambitious deal that meets us halfway are overly pessimistic. So you think a bit of a canvas for us to paint on if we, if we can decide what to... Uh, I do. Yeah, That's an exciting thought. Um, Emily, can I come back to you? I, uh, we've lots to generally to get our head around of a government to manage a lot of complexity. Um, what else are the other themes that you've been talking about on the Trade and Investment Hive? Thanks, Paul. And, and you're right. It really focuses the mind thinking about all the things that John's just been talking around the e negotiations and how we need to step up to that opportunity. And we're trying to think about a few other angles, too. So the first is the role that we can all play in supporting businesses to export. So both government and other players in the private sector like us. And I mention this uh, perhaps shamelessly with a plug for a survey that we have in the market at the moment for businesses to express their views on the challenges that they face when exporting for the first time or growing their exports and the support that they need from government and others to overcome those challenges. So people can find that on our Trade Matters site um, and share their views if they haven't already. Another area that, that we're putting some thought into and starting to convene discussions around is how we prepare for a future of independent regulation. So clearly um, our regulation has been integral to our membership with the EU 
And we're just starting to see how that might change as we progress into the discussions about our future relationship. Um, but there's definitely a possibility that we will have wholly independent regulation of some of our sectors and growing full regulators and doing it quickly isn't easy to do. So starting to think through that challenge um, is one of the things we're focusing on. And finally, I guess this is more of a mindset change than an activity, but starting to recognise that we're going to have to do some things that we haven't done for a while and maybe moving away from being leaders on the world stage in all areas and learning from our peers and friends around the world from things that they've been doing that we haven't for a while. An example being the kind of business architecture that nations like New Zealand and Australia have to support the government when it's negotiating free trade agreements and having that kind of thing here in the UK too. And John, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I'd just like to um, support very strongly what Emily said about the importance of the the future quality of our regulation. It's not only fundamental to helping the economy thrive and grow in its own terms, but it's also at the heart of our long-term relationship with the EU. Because, as the EU has already said, we will have a free trade agreement which contains voluntary regulatory co cooperation, and the extent to which the EU will be prepared and ready to go a long way in that area, which is very clearly in our interests, will depend on the trust that they have in our system, new system of regulation. So uh, when Emily says that we have, we have a requirement and an imperative to develop our own high quality framework and system of independent regulation, it's absolutely fundamental to ensuring our long-term relationship with the EU goes as far as possible. So lots going on. Lots still to play for, um, quite a lot of complexity for businesses to get their head around as they, they look at all this. Uh, we've been talking a bit over the last um, month or two about um, no regrets activities, things that really make sense for a business to be doing now um, against really most of the scenarios we're talking about. Could I just ask you each, just give some thoughts on where you think business should be focused? Phil, perhaps I can start with you. Well, thanks, Paul. Um, we've been spending a huge amount of time recently helping companies um, deal with this, this very question. Um, so I would, I'll start with the basics, really. I think companies, if they haven't done already, they need to understand the, the impact of Brexit against some really clear scenarios. And you've got the WTO scenario, but this free trade agreement scenario is really important. And I agree with what John said. There's plenty to play for in certain areas, but I think we can also be clear that the majority of that, we can use the Canada deal as a, as a template for understanding how that would affect companies. Understand that. Understand the potential impacts of Brexit on your company understand and evaluate the mitigations, the trigger points, um, and the potential costs involved in that, put it into a Brexit plan, and then put the appropriate governance around it. I think once companies are in that place, then naturally from, from that will flow the kind of no regrets decisions around supply chains or people or, or data that companies are and, and indeed should be starting to think about and take action on at this stage. Emily. Thanks, Paul. Um, for me, and I guess part of why what we're doing here in the Trade and Investment Hive is so exciting is about the flow of information between government and business. So my no regret decision is maybe one for government and for business. So for government, it's about communicating clearly what we do know now. And for business, it's about keeping listening. There's clearly a lot of discussion in the press. There's a lot of noise about Brexit. People are getting a bit bored and turning off, tuning out but it's staying close to the developments and signing up for schemes so that you can get real updates when they're available to inform the kind of planning that Phil was just talking about. 
And finally, your thoughts, John? Just let me give two examples. Um, one of a company which was seriously considering uh, just a few weeks ago whether it needed to take a business decision on the basis that there might not be a transitional period. Uh, and the advice we gave was, we'll know that certainly by April, probably in March, you can afford to wait. So a business decision which would have been premature was delayed on the basis of a clear understanding. So that's also a kind of no regrets decision. It's not rushing into things which are premature. To give an example from the, another di direction for another company, um, which was asking itself the question whether it needed to take a long-term investment decision now because there was a risk that there might be tariffs on goods between the UK and the EU uh, in the long term after the transition. Uh, it was already clear from the European draft European Council guidelines that that was not the EU's position. We know it's not the UK's position. Therefore, they could afford to take a business decision on the confident assumption that there would be no such tariffs in the long term. So it's just a question, as Phil and Emily described it, of getting expert advice on the detailed reality of the negotiations, what is known and what isn't known. Well, we've had an interesting year, and I think we can be sure the next 12 months before the exit date in March 2019 will be just as interesting. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, all of you. Uh, it's been a really illuminating and interesting conversation. And thank you all for listening. Join us again soon for the next in our series on Trade Matters. Don't forget to subscribe and you can access all our podcasts, blogs and events at pwc.co.uk slash trade matters.